0: Frank Lee Morris. If there was ever an inmate who was meant to escape from Alcatraz, it was him. Morris was portrayed as a sharp and intelligent mastermind behind one of history's most legendary prison breaks. The escape took months to develop and it required the creation of ingenious decoys and water survival equipment. In today's episode, we will be discussing the escape from Alcatraz. Hi, I'm your host Benjamin Bryan, and you're listening to Peace. Frank Lee Morris had spent a lifetime manoeuvring the prison system before arriving in Alcatraz. Morris was transferred from one foster family to another from the time he was a baby until he was a teenager. And at the tender age of 13, he was convicted of his first crime. Morris's criminal record by the time he was in his late teens contained a variety of offences, ranging from drug possession to armed robbery and he had established himself as a professional inhabitant of the correctional system. Before moving on to increasingly big prisons, he spent his early years in a boys' training school. Morris was regarded as having a high intelligence by the prison officials, and he earned his way to Alcatraz by amassing the incredible list of escapes. Federal officials concluded in 1960 that his pattern of escape attempts, termed as shotgun freedom, would come to an end at the rock. Morris disembarked from the prison launch on January 18th, 1960, and was assigned the number AZ1441. Frank's great escape partners were also well-versed in the dark world of organized crime. Brothers John and Clarence Anglin, who were convicted with their brother's bank robbery, were also spending time at Alcatraz. When they first met Morris, All three were detained at the Federal Penitentiary in Atlanta, and John and Clarence were subsequently transported to Alcatraz after a series of failed escape attempts. Alan West, an Alcatraz inmate who occupied a nearby cell, was also brought in on the idea. He was on his second term on the rock and had a reputation for being a haughty criminal, which basically just means he was arrogantly superior with a lack of respect and he knew John Anglin from the Florida State Penitentiary. The escape plan began to take shape in December 1961, with West apparently discovering a collection of several old saw blades while cleaning one of the utility passages. West would later claim credit for the cunning escape in later interviews. The plan was intricate, requiring the design and construction of ingenious lifelike dummies, water rafts and life preservers made from over 50 raincoats obtained from other inmates some donated others stolen the men found a popular mechanics magazine and found an article explaining how to construct life jackets and an inflatable raft they worked on the rafts on the upper cell house and used the dummy heads they made to pass the nightly count they were able to hang up blankets on top of the cell house due to alan west convincing the guards this would help stop dust and paint spattering on the floors below they'd also need a range of hastily built digging tools as well as the materials to build the escape accessories. Morris and the Anglins had already excavated through the six by nine inch vent openings in their cell and began construction on the vent on top of the cell block by May, 1962. The Anglins, as well as West and Morris, lived in adjacent cells. The detainees worked in shifts with one laboring and the other one on guard duty. They'd start work at 5.30 p.m. and finish around 9 p.m., just before the lights out count Meanwhile, John and Clarence got to work on their fake heads, giving them nicknames like Oink and Oscar. The heads were built of a homemade cement powder mixture that contained harmless things such as soap and toilet paper. They were very basic and primitive, but lifelike. Clarence Anglin managed to get human hair from the barbershop floor at the end of the day, and they were told how to mix the colour tone paint to the dummy heads. The convicts began cutting and bonding the raincoats into a makeshift raft and life preservers. The rafts were sewn down in the shop and taken to the top of the cell block. To avoid being discovered with the illegal supplies, they would hide the items on top of the cell block each evening after completing their self-imposed labour detail. In addition, the detainees were given many handcrafted tools. While working on a paint detail, West was able to lift an electric hair clipper, which he combined with drill bits stolen from the industries to create a makeshift motorised drill. West had lately discovered that the prison's vacuum had broken by chance. He was given permission to attempt a repair, and upon closer inspection, he discovered that the machine had two motors. He gently removed one and was able to get the other to work, avoiding suspicion in the process. Morris and the Anglins were then able to use their drill with the vacuum motor. They tried to remove the roof ventilator but were only partly successful. The motor was both too loud and ineffective. The inmates had finished making all the gear they needed for their escape after months of planning and they were now working to loosen the ventilator grill on top of the cell house. Morris created an accordion-like musical instrument called a concertina, which would be used to rapidly inflate the raft, while John Anglin meticulously completed the valve assembly on a massive 6 by 14 foot raft. West, on the other hand, had fallen behind in excavating out the ventilator grille at the back of his cell, while others had made good work in their varied preparations. His main responsibility had been to make the rafts life preservers and special wooden paddles tasks which didn't require him to leave his cell on the night of June 11th, 1962. Morris indicated that the top ventilator was loose enough that he felt that they were ready to attempt the escape. Morris pulled down the dummies from the top of the cell block around 9.30pm, right after light out, and stated that the escape will take place that night. Clarence Anglin tried kicking at West's ventilation grill from the outside in the utility corridor, but he was unsuccessful. Morris and the Anglins would have no other option except to abandon him. The inmates completed their final 30-foot ascent up the plumbing to the cell house roof, crossed 100 feet over the rooftop, and then descended 50 feet of piping down to the ground at the shower area's entrance. That night, Morris, Clarence Anglin and John Anglin would never be seen again. Wes later stated in an interview that their plan had been to utilize their raft to get to Angel Island, After resting, they would re-enter the bay on the opposite side of the island and swim across to Raccoon Straits before continuing to Marin. They'd steal a car, break into a clothing store, and then go their separate ways. West had eventually completed the removal of his grill and ascended to the rooftop, but all of the other convicts had vanished by that time. He was obliged to return to his cell because he had no raft or other means of escape. For decades, people questioned whether this historic escape attempt was successful. The FBI investigated for several years before concluding that the detainee's scheme had failed. The following are only a few of the significant findings from the study that threw doubt on the effectiveness of Frank Morris's and John and Clarence Anglin's famed Alcatraz escape. The official plan was to steal a car and then break into a clothing store. No such complaints were filed in Marin County within a 12-day period following the escape. None of the three men's friends or family, according to sources, had the financial means to go to San Francisco to assist in the escape. Thousands of dollars would have been spent putting a boat in the bay, night after night, waiting for that one night when the true escape took place. There would have been no way to validate the break date and the level of their preparations with outside connections. Now, critics on the other hand said that the fact that no remains had been discovered was proof that the convicts had made it to the mainland. People who died in the bay waters were notorious for going missing and never being discovered. An African-American man named Seymour Webb, who was apparently despondent about a failed relationship, abandoned his car on the Golden Gate Bridge and jumped to his death in front of multiple witnesses on the night of the escape. His body was never located despite the Coast Guard's quick response. Now, water temperatures in the bay ranged from 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. After around 20 minutes, it was established that the exposure of the elements had impacted physiological functions. To prevent detainees from becoming habituated to the frigid bay waters, showers at Alcatraz were always supplied with hot water. The following day, personal items carried by the convicts were discovered floating in the bay a life preserver with significant teeth marks on the valve was also discovered. On July 17th, 1962, a Norwegian freighter reported spotting a body drifting 20 miles northwest of the Golden Gate Bridge, while departing from Pier 38. The ship was en route to Canada when the sighting occurred, and the crew did not report it until October. The sailors had observed something bobbling, in the sea and confirmed it with binoculars that it was a body floating face down. The butt cheeks were clearly visible, even though the hands and feet were dangling in the water. Despite being sun and sea bleached, the figure was dressed in a full length denim trousers that looked just like prison uniforms. Coroners from San Francisco, San Mateo, Alameda, and Marin County all agreed that a drowned body may float for up to five weeks. This was one of the case's most important leads according to the FBI. There were no other people missing or drowned at the time who were wearing similar trousers, according to their official reports. The Anglins' relatives claimed that the escape had been a topic of discussion in their home for several years. They had never been contacted by the brothers, and they assumed that if they had lived, the guys would have made contact in some way. Alfred, the third brother, was electrocuted, in 1964, while attempting to flee Kilby Prison in Montgomery, Alabama. The interesting mystery of this escape is still being investigated decades later, and over a million people visit Alcatraz each year to see the crime scene firsthand. The FBI decided after decades of investigation that there were more important findings indicating a failed escape than any findings or evidence suggesting any of the inmates made their way to freedom. There were never any solid land-based evidence that would lead to a favourable conclusion for any of the detainees in the end. There were originally six collaborators in the infamous great escape. According to a little known detail regarding the famous great escape, June Stevens joined the plot in December and was assigned to a cell on the third tier, right above Morris and the Anglin brothers. Following the escape, holes were discovered around the ventilation grill inside Robert L. Williams cell during a prison wide shakedown. Williams, who was serving life for murder, eventually denied any involvement, but Stevens accepted his part and later revealed that Frank Morris had requested him to leave because of three difficulties he believed would jeopardise their plot. The first was the installation of a second water spout for warm water in each cell, while the backsides of the cells on the ground level would be easy to conceal for officer inspections the backsides of the upper tier cells would be impossible to conceal. Furthermore, after the inmates finished cutting around their grills, stray portions of the cement or grill could collapse and alert officers to the escape scheme. Even if they managed to remain unnoticed, moving out of the hole while only being able to grip the pipes at such a height would be far more difficult, not to mention risky. While Stephen's involvement in the escape was supposed to stop five months before the plan was carried out, His interviews with officials provided detailed accounts of how the inmates thoroughly planned and carried out their escape. Robert Williams first denied any involvement. Stevens later discovered that Morris and Williams worked together in the glove shop and that Williams certainly played a big role because the two were close friends and he helped get several of the items used in the escape. Stevens was eventually tried and convicted and sentenced to isolation for his role in the escape. Williams died in May 2006, and Steven died in November 1995. The crew of the freighter ship reported seeing a body floating about 20 miles west of the Golden Gate. While historians have varied interpretations as to why West didn't make it, both West and Stevens presented one consistent account that would suggest West was abandoned. An official FBI investigative report provided the following statement of the escape. Inmates of the United States Penitentiary on Alcatraz Island, California, Frank Lee Morris, John William Anglin, and Clarence Anglin were discovered missing from their cells at 7.15am on June 12, 1962, with dummy faces found in their beds by penitentiary authorities. They were able to flee by excavating holes in the back wall of the ventilator portion of their cell, climbing plumbing lines in the utility court, and finally breaking through the bars in the ventilation lid onto the roof, then climbing down the big pipe in the back of the jailhouse, across the fence, and to the island's northeast shore. Alan West's cell had similar holes as well as a dummy face. They left at 9.37 p.m. on June 11th, ostensibly to return and assist with the completion of West's hole and have not been seen since. West finished the hole in the cell later that night, went to the roof and confirmed they were gone. He went back to his cell and went to sleep. The escapees had constructed a 6x14 raft out of rubberized raincoats, as well as three yoke life preservers. These articles had been made and stored on the roof tier beneath the cell house roof. And escapees worked on them in the evening after escaping out of their cell. They intend to flee to Angel Island in San Francisco Bay, and then to the mainland in the west they'd break into houses to get guns and clothing, then steal a car and flee the region. On June 13th, 1962, an authorised complaint was filed in USC, San Francisco, accusing that Morris and Anglin Brothers of violating Title 18 and Section 751 United States Code. Federal warrants issued in bond recommended in the amount of $50,000 each. Currently, the United States of America, San Francisco, is not prosecuting anyone. So what are the facts that we can extract from the escape? Let's have a look to understand each aspect of the escape. Officers of the United States Penitentiary, Alcatraz Island, California, discovered Frankly Morris, Alcatraz number 1441, John William Anglin, Alcatraz number 1476, and Clarence Anglin, Alcatraz number 1485, missing from their cells, on June 12, 1962, at 7.15am. In their mattresses, they discovered dummy faces. The escape had been made by drilling holes in the back walls of their cell's ventilating section. They used plumbing pipes to crawl on top of the third layer of the cell as they crawled through the holes into the utility corridor. They then escaped onto the roof of the cell house by breaking through the bars of the ventilator lid and down steep embankments to the northeast shore of the island, near the power plant. After climbing down from the roof on the huge pipe at the back of the cell building, Allen West's cell, Alcatraz number 1335, had a comparable hole as well as a dummy face. West claimed that they were going to escape together, but the hole in the cell wasn't finished. Morris went to get one of the Anglins to help West at 9.37pm on June 11th. 1962, but they never returned. West finished the hole in his cell later that night and went to the roof, but they were gone. These items, such as tools and raincoats, were kept on the third cell tier under the cell house roof, which was also known as the top of the cell block, where escapees worked on them after escaping out of their cells, like previously mentioned. West went to bed after returning to his cell they planned to flee to Angel Island in San Francisco Bay, then to the mainland, he claimed. They planned to inflate the raft with a concertina that they had converted into a bellows once they arrived at the shore. And just to mention, a bellows is a device with an airbag that emits air when squeezed. They'd then conduct a burglary to get guns and clothing, then take a car to get as far away from the Bay Area as possible. Beyond that, no plans had been made. From this point on, there are very few facts on which everyone agrees. It has remained Alcatraz's greatest enigma for nearly 60 years. There were no bodies discovered, but there were no sightings that led to the arrests. The United States Marshal Service maintains an open file on the escapees to this day. Only when they reach the age of 99, it will be closed. Morris, John Anglin, and Clarence Anglin would be 93, 90, 90 and 89, respectively, if they were still alive today. Now, there are two basic opinions that everyone can agree or disagree with. I'll be explaining both, and you can go with the one that you think is more relatable. So, after our three escapees successfully completed the swim in 1962, another inmate, known as John Paul Scott, completed it in December of the same year, nude, without a raft, in far cooler conditions, only to be discovered on the beach in San Francisco, before being returned to the island. Thousands of people have safely swam from Alcatraz to land, even without the adrenaline rush of guard rifles aimed at their backs. Our detainees, who were all in their early thirties, could all swim. John and Clarence Anglin grew up swimming in Lake Michigan's chilly waters. Frank Morris was smart enough to use the six months or more he spent planning for his bid for freedom to physically prepare himself for the one mile swim. The belief that the swim is impossible or that you will be eaten by sharks was made up by prison officials to discourage inmates from trying it. They may not have needed to swim at all because they were sailing away on a fully inflated three-man raft. In their hidden workshop, 50 raincoats were methodically stitched and assembled together over the course of months. They also had oars, which according to this excellent simulation, of the currents from PBS that night they probably didn't even need, highlighting the raft's likely route. If they had let the water take them, they would have ended up in the Marin Headlands. It also shows how the currents returned to Angel Island, which explains how their raft ended up there, despite the FBI's initial assertions, more on that later. So why do some people insist that they drowned, even though no evidence of death exists? On the Golden Gate Bridge, the bodies of two out of every three suicides are discovered. In truth, the Bridge Rail Association estimates that 1,600 people have died by jumping from the bridge over the years, with 1,400 bodies being recovered. But the bodies of our three detainees have never been found, from the prison cleaners to the guards, to Warden Olin G. Blackwell, who was on vacation in Lake Berryessa at the time, It was in everyone's best interest at Alcatraz to spread the story that the three guys had drowned. They couldn't have gotten away from the impossible maximum security island. If word came out that three men had slipped away, the expensive and divisive penitentiary would almost probably be closed. As soon as the jailbreak was reported in the media, rumors spread that it would be the end of the prison island and the FBI needed to dispel those rumors as the manhunt was underway. In 2012, a National Geographic video uncovered evidence of a long-suspected FBI cover-up. According to a previously unseen FBI report, the escapee's raft was discovered on Angel Island, and a car was stolen in Marin County. Contrary to the original version of events, later that night, a blue Chevy with three males in it was reported to have run another car off the road near Stockton. According to a police complaint, Frank Morris was smart, he had 133 IQ, but not smart enough to brag about his successful escape. On the other hand, the Anglin brothers were more willing to report their whereabouts in 2015. In 2015, a photograph of the boys posing next to a termite mound outside of Rio de Janeiro was revealed, taken by a family friend in 1975. According to a History Channel show, the US Marshal Service sought an expert to compare physical features and measurements in the photo to what they knew about the Anglins in 1962. They concluded that the shot was taken in 1975, and that the guys photographed were most likely Clarence and John Anglin. The resemblance is obvious, especially in the characteristics surrounding John Anglin's lips on the right. The FBI has long assumed that the escapees would end up in Brazil. They investigated a rumour that Clarence Anglin was staying there as early as 1965. It was deemed so important that Bureau operatives travelled to South America to track him down. The documentary also had Christmas cards sent to the Anglin brothers' family in 1965, with handwriting that matches theirs, as well as a deathbed confession from a sibling claiming that the brothers had kept in touch from 1963 to 1987. Finally, just seven years ago, KPIX obtained a letter issued to the San Francisco Police Department in 2013. Morris and the brothers barely made it to the shore on the night of their escape, according to a letter which was supposedly written by John Anglin, who was 83 at the time. It went on to say that Morris had passed away in 2008 and Clarence had passed away in 2011. Part of the letter reads this. My name is John Anglin. I escaped from Alcatraz in June 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer. Yes, we all made it that night, but barely. The letter and handwriting were examined by the FBI, which came up with an inconclusive outcome. Even if the letter, Christmas cards, and Brazil photo are all phony, it would be ludicrous to infer that the inmates died in the same mile of water that a nine-year-old can swim, based on a false FBI cover-up. Now, opinion two is that three Alcatraz convicts, fueled by their wits, defy the odds, and escape from jail. The evidence does not support their survivability, despite the popular image. Experts have analysed the tidal patterns of the San Francisco Bay for clues over the years, Scientists at Delft University employed computer modelling to mimic the currents the guys would have encountered that night in 1962, producing the most comprehensive research. They discovered that there was only one window of opportunity for survival between the time the surging tide would have pulled them towards the Golden Gate Bridge. The tide began pushing back into the bay. It was around 12am. That tiny window gets even smaller since all the evidence suggests the men paddled off Alcatraz at 10pm. The experts had discussions at that time. According to newspapers, the most likely scenario was that they would have been transported out of the Golden Gate Bridge. According to a hydraulic engineer, fighting against surging tides and freezing water in the pitch black on that night would have been even more difficult if they had been using a handmade raft. According to the Delft model, any debris from the escape would have been washed ashore on Angel Island. This is precisely what occurred. A paddle and a rubber packet were discovered off the island's coast in the following days. Photographs of the Anglins and their friends and family, as well as a list of names and addresses, were included in the packet. It's difficult to imagine they would deliberately abandon their only treasures which they had neatly sealed in a waterproof bag. If the escapees drowned, then the question remains, why did nobodies ever wash up? According to the FBI files, the agency discussed with the California Highway Patrol and the Marin County Coroner who dealt with suicides near the Golden Gate Bridge. Between 1960 and 1962, the CHP, which is the California Highway Patrol, recorded 30 suicide jumps from the bridge. Only 17 bodies have ever been discovered, and a total of 12 suicides were suspected, but no bodies were ever discovered. Suicide jumpers were rarely recovered when the tide was outgoing, as it was on the night of the men's escape, according to the California Highway Patrol. As horrible as it is to think about, the bay never relinquishes a frightening number of bodies. Some are just swept out to sea, others get stuck in the debris and drown. Then there's the last, and arguably most compelling, explanation for the men's deaths. They've never resurfaced. These were experienced criminals. They'd been in and out of the prison since they were in their early teens. They would have had to rob someone or something once they arrived to land to make any kind of escape. They departed Alcatraz with nothing but the highly visible prison uniforms on their backs. Authorities were told by an inmate accomplice that they planned to break into a store in Marin and steal street clothes. However, no such heist was ever reported. The men may have stolen a blue Chevy in Marin, but the proof is only circumstantial. The car could have been stolen days before the escape, according to Marin police. A sighting that night in Modesto of a blue Chevy, inhabited by three males yelling and yanking a car off the road, was examined, but the license plate was never confirmed to belong to the same vehicle, and would you initiate a road rage incident to draw attention to yourself if you were three of America's most renowned fugitive convicts? The Anglins and Morris' faces were in every newspaper in America, and they had a narrow network of known contacts. Law enforcement had been watching their hometowns for decades. On birthdays, they waited for phone calls and regularly interrogated family members. The Anglin's list of names and addresses was thoroughly investigated. The photo from Brazil is far from conclusive, especially because it came from an ex-con whose own family claimed that they were unaware of his link to the Alcatraz escapees. Even if the men had returned home, it does not appear that they were well-received. The Anglin parents were questioned by the examiner, and Mrs Anglin expressed her wish that her boys were apprehended, pointing out that at least 10 of her other children had turned out well. To vanish, you must completely get rid of all traces of your previous existence, friends, family. You must spend every minute of your life looking over your shoulders. You can't take a break for a second. If John and Clarence Anglin, as well as Frank Morris, were able to accomplish this for nearly five decades, they deserved to be free. For decades, historians have been baffled by what happened after the escape. Their remains were never found, leading many people to speculate whether they died in the turbulent San Francisco Bay or made it to freedom. Since then, nearly six decades of silence from the guys has led to many to believe that the escape was a sham. In 1979, the FBI concluded that the escapees were unlikely to have survived a dangerous swim over more than a mile of icy waters to the mainland. However, in January 2018, CBS San Francisco published an extract from a letter to the FBI that recounted a completely different story and claimed that the perpetrators had been on the loose since the 1960s. It said, My name is John Anglin. In June 1962, I escaped from Alcatraz with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I'm 83 years old and in poor physical condition. I've been diagnosed with cancer. Yes." We all made it that night, barely. The writer revealed in the letter that he was the last surviving member of the trio with his accomplices dying in 2005 and 2008. I would write back to let you know exactly where I am, he said, if officials declared on television that he would receive a single one year prison sentence during which he could obtain the medical treatment he needed. This isn't a joke. The FBI, on the other hand, did not do so and instead suppressed the letter though this is the first time someone claiming to be one of the men has contacted authorities. It isn't the first sign that they may have survived. Officer Robert of the San Francisco Police Department noticed a pristine white boat out in the bay on the night of the men's disappearance. Although there were no lights on, someone on board appeared to be shining a flashlight into the water. The claim was examined by police, but they were unable to track down the boat's owner or identify where it went. More recently, a claimed photograph of the brothers taken in Brazil 13 years after their disappearance was included in a 2015 history programme. Strange occurrences have also been reported by the men's family members, implying that there may be more to the story than people realise. David Widner, a nephew of John and Clarence Anglin, told CBS, It's always been talked about through the family. After the escape, my grandmother received roses for several years. Anglin would be over 90 years old today if he were still alive. Since then, no one has heard from him. John and Clarence Anglin's nephew, David, voiced his disappointment that officials had not contacted his relative's family about the reported illness. I feel like they should have at least reached out to the family and let them know the letter existed, he added, citing the fact that he had cancer and was dying. However, any claims of a successful great escape have been quickly debunked by the federal authorities. The US Marshals investigating the matter told CBS San Francisco that the lead was closed with no merit and it was simply a hoax perpetrated by someone attempting to defraud and embarrass federal and local authorities. The Federal Bureau of Prisons claims that they drowned once they were released from Alcatraz and that their remains were dragged out to sea. End of the story. Stated National Park Service Ranger John Cantwell, in 1963, the prison was permanently closed. Now, I think that after discussing almost every positive and negative aspect, it could be a mystery for a lot of authorities whether they escaped or not, but if we analyse the story, then it becomes obvious that the escape was successful, as the prison was closed permanently after the escape, and escapees somehow taunted the authorities by first posting their picture and then sending a letter to the news. Also, the grandmother received flowers for a long time, It could be an indication that the escapees were out there enjoying their freedom. That's all for now. Please like this podcast and review or share it with someone you know who is interested in true crime, unsolved mysteries, and much more. Be sure to follow our social media, which is piecedpod, P-I-E-C-E-D-P-O-D. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until then, take care, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Pieced.